you know the story. Jesus of Nazareth has been um, tried on false charges of conspiring to overthrow the Roman government. He was found guilty, sentenced to a public beating, and then execution by crucifixion. His punishment was brutal, but by contrast, brief. The Sabbath was coming on, and the pressure of Jews in the area on the Roman government um, had the, the Romans cut short his agony by shoving a spear into his side and ending his life. You also know the story of his closest friends, his male friends anyway, the, the guys that traveled with him and went everywhere that he went. As soon as Jesus was arrested, they fled. They all hid, fearing that they would be caught up in this dragnet themselves, and they would be the next ones hanging on crosses in Jerusalem. So they were hiding in, in a home somewhere in the area of Jerusalem. You also know about the women friends. There were lots of women who, who, um, who came to Jesus and, and listened to his teaching and, and followed him from place to place. Um, they were a little more bold. Uh, they probably you know, rightly thought of themselves as not being viewed by the Romans as a real threat. And so they had a little bit more access. They were, they were present at the, um, at the execution. They were present at the hasty burial. And they were the ones who went the next day, the Sunday, the, the day after, to go and to prepare his body for a proper burial. It was a quick um, burial that, that had to take place on Friday night. Now they wanted to give the proper burial, the one that they deserved. So as soon as it was legally permissible, um, they, they went back to the cemetery. I thought about how they would be walking to the cemetery. You know, they walked from their home to the cemetery that day and how they probably didn't chat much among themselves. You know, there wasn't the sort of trivial conversation that you have with somebody when you're in the market or waiting at a bus stop. You know, there would be a, it'd be a solemn kind of walk. It'd be quiet and contemplative. There was the sort of logistical hurdle that they knew waited for them when they got there. The tomb. Tomb had a massive stone in front of it. Uh, these uh, these ancient uh, tombs are still uh, you know kind of in existence today. You can still see them in in Jerusalem and in uh, in Israel. A stone that weighed about two thousand pounds, and it would be round and set in a slot that had a had a, a slope to it, so that gravity would pull the stone down into place and um, and it would seal the entrance of the tomb. And so a few women going there would have to think how they were going to roll a a, a foot-thick stone that weighed as much as a car up a hill. But I think even this probably was something that they put off and and maybe didn't discuss. In, in In a Jewish tradition of grief, silence is observed. And so maybe even this was a bridge that they probably decided not to even cross until they got there. You know the feeling, too. You know the feeling of, of sudden loss when you hadn't anticipated it and you get this, this note that, you know, or a, a phone call or, or someone comes to you and, and says that there's been this sudden passing and you know how, how that hurts and how the, the feeling of, of, of uncertainty abounds and, and how it, it sort of shakes you. And you don't even know what to say in those instances, do you? You, you, you oftentimes, if you're wise, you say nothing at all because... You fear that if you keep talking, you're going to say something that sounds incredibly, well, stupid. And we've all done that, haven't we? We've all said something we wish we had. I was reading uh, some stories this week 
Um, a young woman admitted she went to this funeral. Um, this is an embarrassing kind of moment. I went to a funeral of a friend of a friend. But she wanted to be supportive, and so she went to the funeral, and, and she was in the, re- the receiving line, and she met the mother of the deceased. And she introduced herself, and the mother thanked her for coming. What a kind thing to do. And she responded without thinking, oh, any time. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. I read another one about a young man who was a, he was a server at a restaurant. And he came out to a, uh, his, his customer had obviously two prosthetic limbs. And he brings this plate out and he sets it down and he says, don't burn your hands, the plate is hot. And the man had no hands. Yikes, you know, this is the way that you don't want to say, right? Like, did that just really just come out of my mouth and you can't pull it back? It's out there, it's too late. Uh, Benjamin Franklin says, remember, not only to say the right thing at the right place, but far more difficult still, to leave unsaid the wrong thing at the tempting moment. (laughs) Yeah. I thought about this little phrase that he wrote, and here's my thinking about this. That he coined this little proverb immediately after leaving a funeral and having said something really stupid, don't you think? This is, this is experience talking, right? This isn't just a, a, a wise person. We all know what it's like. Open your mouth and insert your foot and say something you wish you hadn't. Words that are out there and you can't pull back in. There's a, that phrase that says, you know, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it also happens the other way around, doesn't it? Sometimes you open your mouth to say something that's true and right, and nobody believes you. You know, they're like, ah, you're, you know, no, this is really true. I'm telling you, this really happened to me. Oh, pish posh, you know, I don't, I don't time for this. This is ridiculous. This is nonsense. I don't want to hear that. And that's the experience these women have. These women who go to the tomb on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, early in the morning, they get up, they go to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body for burial, for a proper, honorable burial, and they have a story to tell. And everyone says, you're just being silly. This is silly talk. Let me take you through Luke's details. He's meticulous. Luke, as a historian, is amazing in the ancient world. He is meticulous about his details. Remember, the women are on their way to the cemetery to find a dead body. They, they saw Jesus die. They saw him beaten within a hair's breadth of his life. They saw him hang on the cross. They saw the Roman soldier impale him with a spear and blood and water gush out of his body. They saw him dead, hanging on the cross. They saw his body removed. These women were there the whole time. They saw the tomb. They knew which tomb he had been laid in. They went there to the tomb. They had every reason to to expect to find his body when they arrived. And you heard Luke's details. They get to the cemetery, they get to the tomb, and the stone is rolled away. They're stunned by this. Why would the stone be rolled away? We saw the stone put in place. And so they go there, and they go into the tomb. They look inside. Can you see them carrying these baskets, you know, walking in and they're, they're looking in to see what's going on. And Luke says they're perplexed. Interesting word he uses. They're perplexed. It's dumbfounded, you know, um, uh, at a loss. This is the way you could find me just about any time of the day. I'm getting ready to go somewhere as I'm looking for my car keys, you know. 
Like, oh my, where did I put those things? You know, like, this is all my, my life is like this, half of it anyway. And so this is the look that, you know, they're, they're standing there dumbfounded, like, I know this is, we're in the right place. We, and then they turn around and there are, did you catch it? Two men, anthropos in Greek. Two men, but they're in dazzling clothes. Not like, not like white, but like, da- like radiant. Jumping out at you, radiant. There's something about these men. And it so frightens the women that they fall on the ground. I, I know in our mind's eye, it, it kind of looks like, you know, bowing down to worship sort of thing. Like in a, in a uh, I think it's more like a, somebody pulls out a gun in a bank kind of falling down, don't you? I mean, this is a frightening moment. And they, they fall to the ground. But they're, they're terrified. And, and the men, the men say something to the women that I think is really kind of silly. What do they say? Why do you seek the living among the dead? I think if the women weren't so terrified <laughs> that they probably would have looked up and said, we're not, you know. We're looking for the dead among the dead, you know. This is where we keep our dead, with the dead, you know. This is why we come here. We're not looking for the living. We're looking for the one we saw die on Friday. We're looking for somebody who's dead. The men save them from the saying this foolish statement, though, don't they? Twice, remember. Remember what he said to you. And they remembered, Luke said, what Jesus had said to them. And I imagine that they drop their baskets and they run. Don't you? They, I mean, they like beat feet run, you know, sprint. They know the house where all the guys are waiting. They run to the house. They get there and they're, you know, they're breathlessly trying to tell this story. You're not going to believe this. We went to the tomb. It was empty. We saw the clothes laying there. And these men, we think they were angels. They were amazing. You would, how bright they were. And they told us that he had risen. And what do the men do? Pish posh. You know, that's nonsense. You're ridiculous. Stop being so silly. Verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women who told this to the apostles. Listen to this. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. An idle tale. Um, Leros in Greek. Nonsense. Silly talk. Baloney. Balderdash. Oh yeah, you knew it was coming, didn't you? This is ridiculous. This is absurd. Why? Why would they think it's absurd? Because dead men don't rise, right? This is this doesn't happen. You are crazy. You're ridiculous. But the very next verse, the last verse in the pericope, what does it say? But Peter got up and ran. Peter got up and ran to the tomb. If you know any of the stories of of Peter, Simon Peter, the follower of Jesus, St. Peter, you would know this. If anybody knows anything about opening their mouth and sticking their foot in, it is he, right? This is is a ridiculous... I mean, he, he says some of the most ridiculous things. Most recently, I don't know who he is. I've never met the man. No, surely you were one of his disciples. No, I don't know who you're talking about. I've never met him. No, really, you were with him. No. You've got me mistaken. I'm not with him. And swears like a sailor to prove that he doesn't know Jesus. 
He knows something about opening his mouth and sticking in his foot, doesn't he? Why does Peter get up and run? Because there's just a, it's just a sliver of hope. It, the door just cracks open a little bit. And he has to run and see, is there a possibility? If the resurrection is true, don't miss this. If the resurrection is true, if it is a historic fact, if it really happened, then everything is possible. Everything is possible. There are, there are people gathered all over the world. They've been doing it for a number of hours now as the, as the globe turns, you know. They've been gathering all over the world. Not millions, billions. Billions of people have been doing this morning what you're doing right now. Gathering to hear this story. To stand up in a few minutes and say, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. To stand and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in this. We come from all walks of life, right? I mean, school teachers and auto mechanics. Physicians and fry cooks. That kind of works literally. (laughs) Police officers. College professors. Learned and unlearned. Rich and poor. Men and women. All walks of life. All races. All languages. We come from all over the world. We believe that resurrection changes everything. It's a total game changer for life. It does not mean, however, that our life is devoid of difficulty. (laughs) If anybody's telling you that, if anybody's selling you that, they're selling you something else, let me tell you. No life is devoid of difficulty. No life is, is without trouble. But we need to believe. Those of us who believe in the resurrection believe that this says God hasn't abandoned us. That there's hope that not even death itself has victory over us. But there are also people all over the world who say, you know, this is silly. It's nonsense. It's ridiculous. Balderdash. <laughs> you don't really believe that, do you? You don't really believe that fairy tale. I mean, come on. And maybe someday, somewhere, even here today, there's somebody sitting on the fence. You know, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure where I'm going with this. I'm not sure if I'm in on resurrection or not. Why should I believe? I could give you all kinds of reasons. I mean, really, I could. Sit down, we'll talk sometime. I mean, I could tell you about, uh, about how the absence of the body. Where's the body? Even today, historically, where's the body? Take this to the tomb. We can place Jesus in history as a real figure. Where's the tomb? We can say, well, what about, the, what about the, the disciples? You know these disciples who were hiding in a house on Saturday, fearful for their lives, went out boldly and, and began to proclaim the resurrection of the dead, and ten of the eleven that remained were, cru- were publicly um, executed. Peter himself asked when he was about to be crucified not to die in the same manner as Jesus, and in fact was hung upside down in order to make it more excruciating. The man who said, I don't know who you're talking about, I never knew him, was willing to be crucified upside down. I could give you lots of others. But instead, I just want to give you a small one. Okay? Just like a little seed. This is a tiny little seed. It just, you know, just plant it wherever you want. The women. Women. The first witnesses of the resurrection were women. Do you know why the men heard them and said this is silly talk? Because women were not viable witnesses. 
They were not allowed to testify in court. Anything that they said in in public was not viewed as a legitimate testimony. If you were going to make this story up, would you take the most unlikely witnesses? No! You'd find some rich man. You know, you'd make this story about this rich guy, Joseph of Arimathea, who gave the tomb away, and he showed up the next day or on Sunday. That's the way you'd write the story. Because then people would believe it. They look, this is ridiculous. The women? And what if? What if God chooses the most unlikely of sources, the most unlikely of witnesses, to proclaim the most powerful event in the world? You see, you wouldn't make this story up. It'd be silly. And that's why you can believe it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.